Hey, what's up? This is John from Seether, and you're listening to Podkiss. All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Every so often we get some email from somebody at the podcast. We love to get fan mail and check out what the pulse of the people is and what everyone's thinking. And every so often we get an email from a gentleman like the fellow on the other end here. Could you please introduce yourself, sir? Hey, Ken. Uh, this is John Humphrey. I'm the drummer for the band Seether. Welcome to the show. It's a very much an honor to hear from you and to know that you're a fan of the show. Uh, you were telling me that you uh, take the podcast on the road with you. I do. Traveling as much as I do, I, I travel obviously with an iPod, take my music everywhere I go, and I have you guys listed on my iTunes to make sure and update and get the latest episodes, and uh, I'll load up uh, five or ten sometimes that uh, episodes that I need to get caught up on, take them with me, and uh, in a hotel room on a day off, I'll catch up on my podcast. Could you give us a little bit about who Seether is? I, of course, have seen you uh, three times now, and two of those times you wore a Kiss t-shirt. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell everybody a little story. Uh, my family is a Kiss family. Uh, almost everyone's a Kiss fan, even up to my grandmother almost. We went to see Seether and Shine Down, Hellstorm, and Flyleaf, and f another time a few other bands. But this one time in particular, uh, I wound up taking my cousin Jessica with me. Her dad's a huge Kiss fan, and she likes Kiss just fine, but she's sick of Kiss at some point because... You know, maybe like uh, your wife's or children, they might be sick of hearing Kiss all the time. Anyway, so we get to the concert, and we're having a good time, and up comes Seether, the, the headliners, and there you guys are. And you come out on stage, and you're wearing a Kiss t-shirt, and I reach over, and I poke my, my little cousin in the ribs there, and I go, see, you can't get away from it. He's wearing a Kiss t-shirt. That's right. I uh always pay homage to the bands and the music that uh, that inspired me and I am guilty of wearing many Kiss shirts uh, on any given tour and I think I've worn one or two on maybe even a Tonight Show appearance. I've, I'm guilty of always wearing Kiss shirts when I'm playing live. To me, it's enough of a fan that you would listen to the podcast. It, to me, it's enough of a fan that you would wear the T-shirts on the road. But uh, you are you are pretty much a diehard, hardcore Kiss fan, like me, Gary, and Ferk, and the rest of us. You are Kiss crazy. Is that fair to say? A absolutely. I'm a 30 years plus uh, collector and, and Kiss fan. Here we are. We're having our uh, beverages. We're just enjoying this conversation. I, of course, am drinking Diet Dr. Pepper Cherry, of course, the uh, official soft drink of Kiss this summer. There you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> getting, getting that little plug in there. I'll tell you what. It was really cool. I saw him the other night. And when you see those big trucks with Kiss oh, emblazoned yeah. on the side and their faces. Yeah. Oh, my God. You just feel like you're living in Kiss world. You know what I mean? I an amazing and Gene thing. made a, another dime as well. I'm sure it exactly. Wasn't yes, <laughs> and of course Paul and him split that. So you know, yeah, right. uh, nickel each.
How did you become a KISS fan? I became a KISS fan in about 1978. I was in second grade. Actually, the first thing I had were the, the trading cards, the Donruss uh, trading cards. I had a friend who traded me something, whatever a eight-year-old would have, a Hot Wheels or something, for four or five of those cards. So I actually saw the band, the image, before I heard the music. Uh, I don't know. Those cards, the images, um, the photographs on those cards are just so amazing. It, it just really uh, took over this little eight-year-old's mind and fantasy world, and I became all things KISS. From that point on, I, I begged my mom for a Kiss record, and uh, the, the, the and she sort of stumbled a little bit. I think the, the best thing I could get out of her at the time was a um, K Tell Greatest Hits album that they used to have in the late '70s, and it had one Kiss song, a Kiss song on it, Christine '16, and I wore that thing out. So yeah, it was the trading cards, and and eventually finally getting the music, and then Kiss Alive was my first record, and I finally got that. Uh, you mentioned the Donruss trading cards. Do you think that there will ever be Seether trading cards? <laughs> I think it'd be a great idea, right? I There'd think it'd be, a be demand. I don't know. I don't know if the photographs would be as cool as those Kiss photographs. I mean, Kiss is just the ultimate band to, to photograph and, uh, you know, just everything, the whole, the whole package itself. They just lend themselves to everything merchandise-wise, especially trading cards. That'd be a great idea. I don't know if it'd be as exciting as uh, the Kiss uh, trading cards were. Did you ever think when you were a young boy that you would one day be playing – uh, halls and stadiums and stuff like you know Peter Chris and Eric Carr and Eric Singer you know when, when when you were very young did you ever imagine that this would happen to you yeah I think uh, I was a bit of um, you know a dreamer if you mm -hmm. will I mean really this band uh, does that to people I listened to your interview with Joe Casey and and uh, it different walks of life he went into comics and and for me it was the musician and um, uh, my uh, one of my first concert was uh, the Creatures of the Night tour, 1983. I'm from Oklahoma, so that show was in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, I saw the band, and up to that point, of course, I had gotten a few albums and really had become a big fan. But yeah, that that band made me want to to make my form my own band and do my own thing. And um, first, of course, it started out just air drumming, air guitars, cool rock concerts and Kiss concerts uh, in the backyard of at, at my house, my childhood home. And then it leads to forming your real band and, and uh, you know, going through uh, paying your dues and, and, and coming up through the ranks and still the whole time being inspired by these guys. It changes, you know, first you're a child and it's the trading cards and how that the comics and then it becomes the music and then you become uh, interested in the backstory. And um, and you learn about the band and and Gene and and Paul and and the formation of the band and what they did to to make it and how they went about making it and you know I don't know you maybe apply that to your career and and take some tips uh, along the way they inspired me on many levels to become what I am today and I I also think that that follows not just anybody that's in a band but in every profession I, I'm an artist myself and of course I've done the band thing but everything I do is in some way influenced by kiss but i know that when i was a little kid you know whether it was uh you know gene and paul saying don't do drugs or, or whatever you know there were just certain things that inspired me one of the biggest things that inspired me was uh you know you'd say you were a kiss fan back in the 70s and people would like instantly give you crap for it or tell you that they would you know those guys won't be around in a couple of weeks and so on and so forth and it actually kind of like galvanized you as right. a Kiss fan, did you ever run into that negative? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I was pretty young when I got into them, uh, like I said, eight years old, pretty young to be getting into a rock band, and I missed the Alive 2 Dynasty tours, and like I said, my first one was finally Creatures, so I definitely stuck with them, you know, Unmasked, and, and I loved Unmasked, and Elder, and then, you know, picking up the People magazine and discovering all about Eric Carr. I blew off a family trip my family took to a lake one weekend to, to stay at home and watch the Kids Are People 2 episode to see Eric, you know? I mean, I, I was a doctor. Hard. And through those years, those waning years, yeah, I, you know, it probably wasn't cool. Well, it wasn't cool to be into Kiss, especially during the elder phase and everything. And and I I, I stuck with them, man. They were my band, and uh, and I love those albums. Some of those that era is some of the closest music to my heart because uh, uh, I really did um, feel um, you know an association with that. That uh, that maybe a different era that you know was different than uh, during their heyday and, and the mm-hmm. fans of that era. You mentioned the Creatures tour. Uh, the drums on on that album are just absolutely amazing on the Creatures of Night album. If you go on Eric Carr's website, uh, his sister Loretta Caravello has put up a little bit about you. Could you tell everybody a little bit about that and something that hangs on your wall to this day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I met Loretta through the Internet and and talked to her and uh, told her a little bit, just an email, just about how much Eric meant to me and thank you for all the music and the talent uh, that he brought and, and how he changed this. Um, you know, young boy's life forever. And she asked me to do uh, a letter, an open letter, uh, and she would love to post it on, um, you know, the website. And so that's what I did. So I talked about uh, Creatures of the Night being my first first show, my first concert. To uh, the first, that was about the time, uh, the Christmas of '83. I got my first drum set. So that weekend was nothing but Creatures of the Night and all the drum parts. And I love it loud. The drum pa- pa- uh, pattern to that and. I Still Love You, the, some of those songs, the, the drums on that album are just amazing. And uh, I think it was just like uh, Eric's car shining moment, uh, for me anyway. That album really uh, as a, is very close to my heart in, in that time period, and I, and I wrote that in the letter, and uh, she was pretty moved by it. So she sent me a little gift in the mail. So along with some of the Cedar Gold records on the wall, right in the middle hangs Eric Carr's gold plaque for Creatures of the Night. That is absolutely amazing. Do you just does do you ever just stop and wait a second? I'm walking by Eric Carr's gold record. I mean, I, I'm sure you've had it for a while, but every so often, don't you just like catch yourself? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's kind of the the records kind of line the the hallway upstairs to my office. Uh, we have a my office is just the only room on the second floor of my house, and uh, I, I pretty much uh, it's fair to say touch the frame or look at it just about every time I come up or down the stairs. Did you know at the time that uh, Ace was in the band or out of the band, or did you know? Did you know you'd be seeing Vinnie Vincent? No, I, I really didn't. Like I I think uh, some fans I felt at first I you know what's going on this. Smoke clears, and here comes this guy. Well, what did Ace change his makeup? There was an article in the paper the next day, and it kind of explained more. And it had a, and of course, I got the tour book and the T-shirt that night, and realized it was an Ace, and and that it was this man named Vinnie Vincent. And uh, and of course, now later on, learning that uh, I think they obviously were keeping it on the down low that Ace was no longer in the band due to their recording contract obligations. They were uh, kind of sneaking Vinnie in. So I kind of learned that kind of. You know, that way, live that night, literally, just who was this guy, Vinnie Vincent? And then, of course, learning all about him afterwards. What did you think of Vinnie's performance? 
he was uh, he was great. The show was great. I mean, uh, that lineup, uh, I like that lineup, uh, and it was a great tour, and uh, it was a great show. And of course, being 12 years old, you didn't pay attention to the fact that it, no, it wasn't sold out. It wasn't to the top of the, the rafters. It was uh, half capacity of that, but the show was every bit my 1978 Kiss Alive tour. You know, we're probably going to play something from the Creatures tour. Uh, is there anything in special like to hear or from that uh, creatures tour um they didn't do the song in o- oklahoma but it, it's a great recording of uh, keep me coming that uh, i think it's just unique because i love that album and it's a song that uh, you didn't hear much on that tour I, I think they dropped it shortly after and i think it's just a really cool performance and and of course that tour is uh uh, it will always, uh, and any music from that album will always take me back to that concert. So keep me coming from 1982 Creatures of the Night Tour. <laughs>
opened up for that show? It was Wendy O. Williams uh-huh. and all her shocking craziness. Did she I mean, get arrested that night? I don't think she she probably should have. I mean, it's Oklahoma in the early 80s. I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know. But she came out, you know, duct tape on on the nipples. and uh, Which, wait thought, a second. Wasn't that the original name for Seether was duct tape on the nipples? I, I think so. It's probably the name of our next album, right? <laughs> duct tape on the nipples. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. She sawed a guitar in half. She smashed a TV. I don't even remember the music. I was just like full-on punk show craziness that, uh, I mean, who cared about the opening band for a Kiss show? But she definitely made her point. Oh, and uh, she came across, and to this 12-year-old, she was, you know, freaked him out. I mean, I, what is this? So, uh, yes, I definitely witnessed Wendy O. Williams and the Plasmatic. Now, do you know who the other band on that uh, tour was did Motley Crue do some date? You are you are a Kiss fan. He's passed another test, folks. This guy's just not BSing <laughs> us. You you did it. You did good. <laughs> just for that, we'll give you a Donruss Kiss card right here. There Look at go. that. There's another one for your collection. Wow. Will there ever be a movie like uh, Seether meets The Phantom of the Park? I doubt it. I mean, how can you how you, how can you top that? You know, Kiss kind of looked down on that movie and, and kid about it, make fun of it. But look, here's another story. I mean, I went trick or treating that night, came in, I couldn't get done fast enough to come in and catch the movie. You were like, screw candy. Yeah, that's right. It's it's Kiss and Kiss is on TV and Kiss is doing a movie. And um, obviously, this is predates. Uh, you know, VHS and VCR recorder, so I didn't see it again for years. So to me, for years in my mind, my memory, man, it was Star Wars. It was the greatest thing uh, ever, and and then finally seeing it years later. But still, again, um, through the eyes of, you know, a child, it, it was it had amazing impact on me, and I thought it was a great movie. And I still get a kick out of it, and I really like the um, European version that they put out on Kissology that has the solo uh, solo members music and stuff kind of in the soundtrack. I think that's interesting and, and really cool. If uh, Seether ever put out solo albums, what would be your solo album color? That's tough. I said fuchsia. I think. Yeah, fuchsia. Definitely <laughs> fuchsia. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Another thing Loretta sent me was uh, the artist that had done the, the solo albums, the guy who had done the rendering with uh, Eric Carr, the, the Orange Light, which is, you know, I, I thought that was so cool. And we have a similar story in, in with Seether in that I auditioned for Seether. Seether uh, is from originally from South Africa. Two of the guys relocated to the United States, and uh, their drummer was was older, had family, and didn't really want to relocate to the United States, so he went home. They started out as a three-piece, and they uh, had hell finding a drummer. Finally, we ran into uh, uh, I ran into an old sound man for a band I was with in the 90s called the Nixons, who told me about Seether. He was working for them and needed a drummer. So I auditioned for them in, in 2003. I've been with them for seven years, but you know I was fifth guy. I was the last drummer to go in, set up this little crappy drum set. These guys are tired and worn out. They've been through a lot of drummers. You know, They're like, great, another guy, whatever. Did, so, you, did you happen to wear one orange shoe and one red shoe? I didn't wear the mixed sneakers, no. Okay, because Ace, I, you know, worked good for Ace. That's right. But the similarity to like Eric Carr in, in preparation, you know, I just... Uh, always identified with you know not being an original member but you know having to go in and just kill to to get the job to get the gig do what you have to do and i listened to their first album disclaimer inside and out over and over and and could play it in my sleep and uh went in and nailed the audition and they hired me on the spot but i you know that similarity with eric carr and i I was so interested in him you know being kind of snapped up out of 
anonymity and becoming this member of a superstar band and him having to audition and what he must have gone through and and you know what kind of stress it must have been and and have to go in and just uh and just do your homework and know you're ready and and kill it um would you say that you are wearing nick argos's or josh freeze's or kevin safira's uh makeup yeah the other drummers oh i see okay (laughs) so exactly whose makeup are you wearing <laughs> yeah, I guess the fortunate for me I didn't have to, you know, go through the the concept for the hawk and and then try to Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. I didn't have to wear the Yes, they had several drummers, so uh finally they got old Johnny. There you go. And after that, uh boom, went the sales. So, you know, it all worked out good for everybody. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, right away we went into the studio and did uh, a song for the Punisher soundtrack which was broken, the duet with Amy Lee. And I had only been in the band a month, and uh, yeah, that song took off. And of course, my second gig was in Mexico City in front of 20,000 people, so it's definitely... That's all? Yeah, yeah, that's it. So Trial by Fire, you know. I'm in a... uh, Trial by Fire, excellent Kiss song. Yeah. Actually, that's one of my favorites. I always wish that would have been released as a single. Oh, yeah? Yeah, seriously, it's, it's a very motivational song. It's almost like a rewrite musically of Lick It Up. Right. Musically, it's got that jung 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 jung, you know, kind of thing. Right. Like at the beginning, yeah. like it up, and, and right. but what a great song! And as I've gotten older, it's it's just one of those songs. It's it just to me sums up the Kiss um, ideal, you know. Like, yeah. like, do you remember in the Animalized tour book? There's that picture of Gene with his tongue sticking out, and it says, "Don't take shit from anyone." I do have some of the 80s stuff. I have to be honest, they didn't come on the Lick It Up or Animalized Tour to Oklahoma. Really? Uh, this is where being a fan for so many years, uh, I did see, of course, Asylum and Crazy Nights and Hot in the Shade. But uh, to, to this day, I don't even have an Animalized Tour book. Well, I, I, I bet it's on your list of things to get now. It is now, yeah. There you go. About the Asylum show that you saw. You had seen Kiss at their darkest, and oh, with Wendy Williams opening up, then of course duct tape on the nipples. And were, yeah. were there religious protesters at your? Yes, absolutely. In fact, yeah, my cousin uh, took me and my little brother, and uh, the pamphlets were handed to me. She took them and threw them on the ground. And don't listen to them, and just come on. She was great. She was kind of like an older sister, and uh, the one my mom trusted to take me to a rock concert. Now, so, now, now what's her first name? Her name's Karen. Karen, I love you, and so doesn't John. We are very proud of you, and we thank you for taking him to the show. That's right. That's right. And uh, the pamphlets and, and the real religious protesters, of course, you know, in Oklahoma, you are in the Bible Belt, so mm-hmm. we definitely had that going strong. My parents were great, though. They uh, they didn't know what to make of Kiss completely. Uh, they definitely heard the music blaring out of the bedroom for many years and saw their son put on makeup and jump around and air guitar around the house but they they let me when i was old enough go to the shows they were very supportive so um i have to give them kudos as well now you mentioned that you do a lot of collecting that's an understatement (laughs) that's an understatement do you have like uh uh have enough room for your stuff at this point or i am i'm in my office and it's it's pretty stuffed (laughs) i've got a lot of stuff especially in the last year i've just 
for some reason kind of acquired. I've kind of gotten back into it again and, and have definitely gotten a, a lot of stuff. What are the uh, best pieces of your collection, the things you're most proud of? I think there's a couple that stand out for me. Uh, one is the band I was with in the, uh, in the 90s called the Nixons uh, had the honor of opening for Kiss on the reunion tour. We did sh- uh, six shows with them in 96, and I have a poster that I brought along with me. Uh, it's an outtake photo from the first album, photo shoot, photo session. Oh, my God. And I uh, had them sign that for me in silver paint pen. The signatures are just excellent. I had that frame, and that's sort of the centerpiece of my office that hangs right over my desk. So Now, listen, you and I have become extremely close. I just want to lay this on the table, okay? Just yeah. want to put this out there. Something happens, God forbid. I get that, right? <laughs> I don't know. I've got two sons in front of you, so. Yeah, but... <laughs> They're yeah. probably into, you know, something else, right? Are you kidding? They've been hearing Kiss since they were day one. We'll throw up the horns then. That's cool. <laughs> All right. So I'm third in line. Okay. Well, I just, I thought I'd take a chance. You sure. Know, at, sure. Can't blame a guy for trying. That's right. Okay. So, so there's that. That's very cool. Yeah. And I'm also, I'd have to give props. I've been 20 year plus friend, uh, friends with uh, another gentleman here from Oklahoma, uh, the author of Kiss Alive Forever, Kurt Gooch. I've known excellent him. book. Excellent yes, book. Yes, excellent can't book. Can't say enough good about it. That's right. It is. It's a, a must have for your collection. Uh, and if you don't have it, go get it. But Kurt's a great guy. And, uh, he recently let go of some stuff and I, I, I picked up a Coventry poster, 73 club poster, original club poster from him that uh, I need to get framed. It's awesome. Um, Coventry, uh, the dates are like, um, it has the band Wild Honey on there. It's one of those, you know, handmade, mm-hmm. self-printed. Yep. And he got them, uh, he got. He told me the story. He acquired, when he was doing research for his book, this giant case from Eddie Solon, who was a good friend of Ace's and, and sound engineer. And he just had a trunk, if you could imagine, opening it up and the light shining with just set lists and old you know, interviews, um, reel-to-reel tape. I mean, crazy stuff. Anyway, one of these posters were in there, and he, he saved one, and I got one of those from him. And it's something, I, like I said, I need to get framed, but I, I really, I think it's really cool. Something that, you know, before the first album and, and their club days. What is the one piece of merchandise or the one collectible that you don't have that you want? That's good. I'm really big into the Japanese 70s items, the the LPs, the promo poster, and I'm looking for the first Victor uh, promo poster. It's uh, super rare, and um, I need I need that one. So anybody wanting to uh, get rid of one, contact us at the podcast email, and we'll hook you up with John. There you go. That'd be awesome. Uh, what's your favorite piece of merchandise? My favorite, oh, you know, next to the Eric Carr plaque, that's that's kind of tough. Um, I think the pinball machine. Of course. Uh, you know, I I just I love it, and um, and I went through quite an ordeal. I got one from eBay ten years ago when eBay was its in its infancy, and they didn't have PayPal and uh, kind of the protection and recourses you have now. So I bought it, and it showed up and didn't do anything the guy said it did. It didn't work. It didn't come on. I, I now have met and, and subsequently have a really close friend who, who who repairs these things. He does a great job, and he's helped me fully restore it back to health. It plays. It works, and um, and even got me a new back glass and, and stuff for it. So it looks it looks beautiful. 
But I say the pinball machine. It's it's a great piece. Now let me ask you a question. Will there ever be a Seether pinball machine? Now I think that would be pretty cool. I think a Seether pinball machine. Hell yeah. Why not, right? I'd, why not? I think that'd be great. Play a little Seether music, and it could just be one of the new modern ones with three or four balls going at any time. I think it'd be mm-hmm. awesome. Well, you need to let Sean know. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm mentioning Sean Morgan, who's the uh, lead singer and main writer of the band. Um, he was asking you about you being a Kiss fan. Now, now, how, what, is, what does Sean know about Kiss? I mean, he, he, everyone knows a little something about Kiss. So. Yeah, and very little at that, and I've definitely given him a little schooling. I, I bring the DVDs on and uh, when we're on tour on the bus. I mean, we're all on a bus together. Does he sit there and roll his eyes, or is he like, this is cool, you know, which is it? Yeah, you know, when the Shandy video comes up uh, or something, he's like, what's going on here, you know, and you're having to bend and explain. Yeah, yeah, but wait a second. No one can crack on Shandy. You guys covered uh, Wham's Careless Whisper, but you had a hell of a hit with it. I know, I know. We took uh, all being 80s kids, you know, a, a ridiculous song well not ridiculous but just kind of a a funny song i guess and made it heavy This thing, that, that, that is a story in itself. It, we were asked by iTunes to do a song for Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And Seether, anyone who knows Seether, I mean, we're not exactly Journey. I mean, we, we just no. don't have those uh, slow dance songs, you know. Yeah. Maybe Broken's the closest we've come. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so we're asked by iTunes and here another Kiss Association. We go into Electric Lady Studios in a day off in New York City. Of course, I walk in, and there's the plaque for Dress to Kill and Love Gun, you know. So, again, another Kiss Association. So I, I my whole life, wanted to track in Studio A of Electric Lady Studios. So I'm, I'm over there doing that. But anyway, we take this song, and, let, you know, let's make it heavy. Let's make it rock, you know. And, and it would be funny to give it to iTunes for Valentine Day, Valentine's Day. They're expecting a slow dance song or, or something associated with lovey-dovey, and we're going to do this. And uh, it's a song we track. You know, you spend months working on an album. We track that song in a 12-hour session, everything, uh, vocals, overdubs, everything, and turned it in. And the damn thing took off and uh, and took off on radio and was added to the album on later pressings. And it was awesome. And it really did become a huge hit for you guys. You really can't pass that up. So when are you going to cover Shandy? <laughs> I got to talk Sean in. I think why not? We did Careless Whisper. I think it'd be right in there. I love Shandy. Actually, it's a great pure pop song. And uh, yeah, I'd probably have to twist Sean's arm. Maybe we'd have better luck with Deuce, but <laughs> I think Shandy would be cool. This is Keith Larue, and you're listening to Podcast. That leads us to something else. If you could pick one Kiss song to cover, what would it be? Yeah, it would be Deuce. I I, I love that song. Uh, 
in a, you know, like I said, explaining my story, my first album was Kiss Alive, so that was the first thing I heard. And I think the Kiss Alive version still stands up to this day. I just love the intro and Deuce, man. I think it's just, it rocks. I love, I love that version of Deuce. But yeah, I think my favorite Kiss song is, is Deuce. Wow. Excellent. Get up choice. and get your grandma out of here. I don't know exactly what grandma did, but she's got to go. So, so you saw the Creatures tour and it was Kiss at their darkest and, and Wendy Williams and the, you know, of course the protesters outside. And then the next time you see them in concert, it's Day Glow, Poison-esque, <laughs> yeah. Asylum era Kiss. Yeah. Who opened up for that show? Wasp. Of course. Oh yeah. Now, what did you think of that? Wasp opening up for Kiss. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a huge. I was a huge Wasp fan, especially those first two albums. And this was the tour for Last Command. So yeah, I was uh, definitely way into Wasp. I thought it was a great show, and Blackie was chunking, throwing posters out into the crowd, and just uh, uh, it it was a, a great show. And then, of course, they came on for Asylum, and, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a purist, and I stick by my band, and regardless if it's my favorite era or not, you know, I went to those shows. If they came through town, I went. So, um, yeah, I saw the Asylum tour. Yeah, very good album. And uh, um, At the time when you were at the concert, did you look at these outfits and go, this looks ridiculous? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a huge fan, of course – you know, everybody looked ridiculous in the eighties. You know, right. but uh, plus, Kiss has always looked ridiculous. Always, well, yeah, yeah. Beauty's in the high, eye of the beholder. Right. right? I mean, yeah. I, I, I've never looked at a picture of Kiss and went, "Those guys look like businessmen." Very often, you know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah, never that, never that. They definitely are are pros, uh, entertainers all the way. No, no, yeah. They never, like they always said, they never want to look like four slobs or four guys rolling out of bed going on stage. They never. Looked like that for sure. So, so what did you think of the Asylum show itself? It was a great show. Um, I always loved Eric Carr. He's playing his solo. He had the electronic Simmons pads at that time, mm-hmm. and so he did a great solo incorporating those. They had like guitar lines on them and stuff, and uh, really good show. Uh, energetic. Uh, that huge logo for that tour. That that logo was amazing. It was massive. Yeah, really. I mean, they always very entertaining stage show. Always. It's just. It was a great show, regardless of what they looked like. It was, uh, yeah, a great performance and very entertaining and and good show. And uh, when when that when they did the Who's We Won't Get Fooled Again, that was amazing. I mean, uh, paying homage to the to the bands that influenced them, you know, and see them kind of cut loose for a minute and do something kind of off the cuff. Uh, I think it's really neat to to see those moments, you know. Now, did you have MTV? You mentioned being out in small town of Oklahoma. Did you have MTV at that time? I did. I finally got MTV about 82. My grandmother had it the year before. Uh, so finally, I did see, you know, I Love It Loud when it, when it, when it was being played. And I saw, mm-hmm. of course, the infamous, you know, when they uh, unmasking, when they took their makeup off. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how they kind of dominated that dial MTV era? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was like you, you could almost set your watch by Here Comes a Kiss video. You know, yeah, people- you really, yeah, you did see them a lot. Of course, I was very glad when Headbangers Ball and stuff like that came along because, uh, and there was like a half hour metal hour for a while, and they, you know, you definitely could catch your Kiss videos. Yeah, I remember you could like go home at lunchtime because they had a show on at lunch and then a show again at like six o'clock at night and then one at night again. 
this was all headbangers ball. It seemed like, you know, and sometimes you'd see Vinnie Vincent hosting or Ace yeah. Fraley or whatever, but it was cool. You could see like, uh, Tears Are Fallen and then the Vinnie yeah. Vincent <laughs> single, you know, Boys oh, Gonna right. Rock, right. Uh, which was a complete over the top video. But I like that album. I, I had that album too. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of videos, what's the, what's your favorite video that you've made with Seether? With Seether, favorite video, probably Fake It. Okay. Uh, we had a lot of fun. That was the first single from the last album. And uh, the idea of the song is, you know, kind of Hollywood and how people fake it in the industry or mm-hmm. go through the motions or people are all about the latest fads and it's it's cool to have and own certain cars, especially in Los Angeles. And so it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek video with us in a jet airplane and it looks like an r&b video and dancers all around it's something seether wouldn't do at all and it takes us to these different scenes and different places if you were to see it just kind of over the top and very unseether like and and it's it's kind of funny and that single did real well for us but that was a fun video to make now how long does an average video take to shoot it's it's like a mini movie uh depending on band performance if you're if it's you know, more storyboard and less band performance than obviously. Uh, well, but we're there regardless, always overseeing kind of what's going on with our input. So, you know, a, a day, one day, 12 to 14 hours. Yeah, that's, and sometimes we've done videos where Broken was a two-dayer. So that was two, like, 14-hour sessions out in Lancaster in the middle of the desert of nowhere in California. Now, can you tell us some of the bands you played with? Sure. We have we toured uh, with Audio Slave. uh mm-hmm which was a great tour. That was in 05. We've toured with Three Days Grace and Breaking Benjamin, sort of peers of ours. Uh, Finger Eleven. We've, we've played with Finger Eleven. They're label mates of ours. Great Pop, guys. Papa Roach. Papa Roach. We've also, believe it or not, we did a show with Kiss. We played uh, Download 2006. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was that like? It was great. Uh, Kid Rock was supposed to be on it. He canceled something about he didn't approve of the dressing room facilities. So he walked in and walked oh, right well. back out. That, so, I would I would have quit right there. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, it was Motorhead, Judas Priest, and Kiss, and we were on that bill. It was, it was great. Did you ever think – I mean, I know that you opened up for them with the Nixons and then you play at, in, in Seether. Did you ever think when you were a kid – that you would be on the same bill with Kiss? No, absolutely not. I mean, that was uh, a dream beyond dreams. And to have it happen twice, like I said, to be in a band that did the reunion. And and Gene and Paul handpicked those bands. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a, a hit at the time called Sister Yeah, uh, that was doing real well for us. And, uh, I mean, we were handpicked for that tour. I spoke with Doc McGee, and, and he told me about it and that gene and paul were listening to bands at the time and i think at one point maybe stp or Allison chains were going to do the entire tour and then they decided to uh, to take uh, young and up-and-coming bands and and give them an opportunity and so that, that was great a lot of fun and then to be in seether uh, almost 10 years later to the to the month uh, later to the month or day and then and then be opening for them again you know over overseas in london for the download festival when you've talked to the guys in Kiss, uh, what do you tell them? Did you ever have that geek out moment where you say, "If it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here"? I did. Uh, there was a photo that uh, God bless him, Tommy Thayer arranged. This is when he was still working with Kiss before he was actually in Kiss during the reunion tour, and uh, we had a quick photo op with Kiss with with the band, the Nixons, 
And I told Gene that very thing. I go, you, you know, you mean the world to me and thank you for this opportunity to play with you guys and kiss. Uh, you don't realize how big a fan I am. And his simple response was, make all the money you can, kid. And it was like, snap the photograph. <laughs> and that was his advice to me. Like, uh, you know, do this and, and, uh, be smart about it and make all the money you can. Now you mentioned, uh, God bless Tommy Thayer. Uh, there is a bit of a divide among some of the fans in the KISS world uh, yeah. because of what's happened. Uh, Tommy and Eric are in the band, and I know that you respect them as musicians, And uh, but some some fans are upset about some folks wearing the makeup. I, of course, sure. think that that's silly at this point because I myself look at it as Ace and Pete sold the rights and... Uh, yeah. To me, if if you if you sell your house, you uh, can't really complain if someone paints the walls red. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so it, it is property of the Kiss Corporation now, and Kiss can do what they want with it. What do you think about this situation? Well, like I said, I totally respect these guys as musicians. Being a drummer, I'm a huge fan of Eric Singer. I think he's a great drummer. I think Tommy's a great guy. Uh, I think he he does it justice. I think uh, with Sonic Boom. Uh, he emulates Ace really well. I mean, if Ace couldn't be there, that definitely would be the best replacement. He, he, it makes it sound, I don't know, he just has those nuances, his leads, they sound like Ace, and he's a fan, and he knows the sound, and, uh, I think he does a great job of it. I think maybe where I draw the line, for me, being a diehard, is, is when he's seeing Shock Me or something. That's mm-hmm. kind of, kind of weird to me. Uh, but as far as putting on the makeup and, and, and keeping Kiss out there so a new generation can discover them and see them in concert because Ace and Peter either don't want to be there or, you know, however it goes, legal battles and, and whatnot. Uh, if this is the closest we can get, then I'll take it, you know. Hi, this is Tommy Thayer, and you're listening to Podkiss. Rock on. Hey, this is John from Seether, and being a... Huge Peter Chris Kiss fan. Uh, one of my favorite songs that he played was from the Fourth Side of a Life 2, uh, Larger Than Life. And this is the alternate version with a little bit different lead guitar parts going on. It's pretty cool. Check it out. Larger Than Life.
when I did the story for Loretta on the Eric Carr site, mm-hmm. I've since had a couple of fans, Kiss fans, who I've come up, you know, come up to me um, with like, I heard you're a big collector, and I don't know if you have this, but here's a puzzle, and here's a stuff, and I haven't really heard Seether, but I'm going to check you guys out tonight. And I go out, and they're front row, arms in the air, just loving it, and it's a Kiss fan, and because of my story, I've come out to check out my band. And, you know, bearing gifts and the whole night. It's just amazing. It really is. A big thank you. I don't know, a fellow KISS fan, fellow KISS Army member, Rich Atkins, uh, came up to me at a show. Where were we? Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, I was eating lunch at a cafe next door to the venue. And he came up to me and he's like, I read your story on on Eric Carr's website, uh, and it was really moving, and I really appreciate everything that you said, and uh, I heard you're a KISS fan and collector. I brought you some stuff. I didn't know if you had it, puzzle and, and different gifts, and, uh, and, and and came all the way out to check out Seether and really enjoy the show or seemed to enjoy the show. I saw him about front row center, fists up in the air, having a good time. So, Rich Atkins, if you're out there, thanks a lot, bud. You're awesome. KISS fans are the best. That's right. Again, my friend Kurt Gooch. Uh, the author, great guy. I've known him for over 20 years. He surprised me, uh, and it was like 1994. He's like, uh, I'm going to pick you up. We're going to go to the mall today. And uh, I'm like, really? We're going to go to the – okay, cool, man. Yeah, I think we'll have lunch or something. I'll pick you up and take you to the mall. So he took me to the mall. We pull up, and I'm like, are we going to park and get out? No. This lady hops into the back of the car and uh, and totally caught me off guard, and he – started to pull away and he goes john humphrey i'd like to introduce you to lydia chris i flipped out you know i was like what went and had lunch with her and uh had a photo taken with her but i met her in 94 because kurt has known her for years and uh he surprised me with that that is amazing And, and another cool one you'd get a kick out of ken is uh i don't know how it came about but somehow i got marion uh Freely's number, Ace's mom's number. Oh wow! Years, years ago, and I don't know if it was a fan who. I mean, somehow she wasn't unlisted. I don't know, but I called her. I had the, <laughs> the balls to call her. It was like '87, and I had a band, like many of my garage bands at the time. And Ace was coming through town, and I wanted to open, knowing nothing about the business, like the promoter, or, you know how you go about this. You don't call Ace's mom, but anyway, she was nice <laughs> as she could be. Um, you know, I'm like, I'm uh, older woman. You could tell I'm like, I'm a big fan of, you know, Ace and old Paul, you know, and told me all kinds of childhood stuff. Anyway, she wrote me the most, the greatest letter. I still have the letter. It's addressed. It has her address from Bronx, from the Bronx. And she wrote me a letter like, I wish you the best of luck. I'm sorry. I couldn't help you. I, I hope you get to play with Ace one day and, and this whole thing. But that, that was another kind of cool kiss, uh, interaction you know that i had along the way you know how would you rate the guitarist of kiss there's uh of course ace mark Vinny, bruce and, yeah, and, and keep in mind when we say least favorite guitarist it may not necessarily like for example if, if you were to ask me that i would say mark st john's probably my least favorite yeah but the guy technically could probably bury yeah ace you know what i'm saying yeah but he didn't have what ace had so right. anyway go, go on 
Yeah, absolutely. Ace Freely is is my guy. I mean, he is the sound to me, uh, guitar sound, the lead. Uh, Ace, man, the way he sings. I mean, uh, just everything about him, his guitar aura. He's a important member of Kiss, and I think he contributed a lot. And Ace is my man. He's number one guy. My least favorite. I've met him. Uh, he's a great guy, beautiful person. Is Bruce Kulick. I, I don't. I wasn't a big fan of his interpretation uh, of some of the older Kiss songs on those tours. Um, of course, it was the 80s. It was shredding guitar. That was all what it was about. But um, uh, Bruce Kulick, I'm, I'm just uh, – his playing, uh, his style, and like I said, his interpretation of some of the older material, I wasn't always a huge fan. Did you hear his uh, new album, BK3? I haven't heard it, no. You've got to pick it up. It is seriously the I think the best stuff of his career. Yeah. It, excellent album. You really need to pick it up. Plus Gene's on it. So Right. And so I don't want to get any, you know, hate emails. I promise. Uh, no offense to Bruce Kulick and, and, no. and uh you know, uh to be honest, you know, I love Bob Kulick. I think what he did on uh, the side four of, of Alive Two is some excellent great stuff. stuff. Paul solo album. Paul's recent solo tour. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't get to see, but I have a couple of bootleg DVDs, and and um, of course he didn't tour with him. But the album was, you know, the music, his contributions, great, and and uh, of course Paul had a great band on that last tour. He always has great music. Very much, sir. Very much so. So, uh, so Ace would be one. Who would be number two then? Uh, number two would be Tommy Thayer, I guess. Okay. Uh, very faithful, very faithful, and in the mold, but. He's doing his own thing as well. Yeah. Uh, so Vinnie Vincent's three. Vinnie Vincent would be three. And, uh, yeah, so Mark St. John and Bruce Kulick. You being a drummer, who's your favorites one, two, three? Uh, my favorite, I, I have to give it to Peter Chris, uh, especially in the early years. I mean, um, uh, Alive was my first record, and, uh, and especially some of the now being older – being hopefully a more experienced musician, watching the old videos, Peter, some of those fills and what he did on the old albums, those old videos, were just off the hook. They're crazy. He, he did some really unique stuff, and he's just got that feel about him that only kind of Peter has. I know they did the recent kind of re-recording of the hits, and again, again, uh, nothing against Eric Singer, but Peter, it's hard to duplicate that feel, especially like a shuffle feel to like Detroit Rock City or something. Peter just had a unique playing style, and uh, especially in the early, early years, man, he just, uh, I'm talking about real early years, you know, 75, 76, he just had some really, really great stuff. So I think Peter Chris would be my first one. Not the best drummer technically, but the way I look at Peter's drumming, and, and a lot of music that I like, period, it may not be perfect. Like, I, I kind of like the old days before when, like nowadays, everything's digital, Yeah, everything's numbered out and tapped out and you know everything's done by note and you know the computer knows what it needs to do you know what i'm saying yeah and, yeah, yeah. But there was a time when a drummer might actually speed up and slow down in a song and oh yeah and, i mean i've heard stories of back then where uh you know when i'm in a studio now we use a metronome or a click right. track that mm-hmm. kind of clicks off in my earphone so i can keep time well back then the producer had to stand up and bang on a box or a cowbell into a microphone so that the drummer could hear it, you know. Bob Ezrin tells a story about trying to record Destroyer or something with Peter and, and having to do that to keep time. But again, my, my choices here, like same with the guitar players, aren't because of maybe 
technical prowess or you know ability. I, I think it's more about heart and emotion, especially with Kiss. For me, Ace and, and Peter are that. They're just uh, pure street emotion. That these guys obviously didn't take formal lessons. It's not about technical music theory. I mean, these guys just had unique feel. And if these guys had been properly taught, they probably wouldn't have played nearly close to the same at all. And, and, and Peter, especially in the early days, I just think some of these feels, where did he get these ideas? And, you know, and he would land on the one and he would just, he would, he would kill it. Great stuff. And, um, and so that, that's why Peter was my favorite. Peter's drumming reminds me of Ringo's in, in one way. Yeah. Like sometimes Ringo gets a flack for not being the best drummer and probably, you know, arguably the most impressive rock band of all time, the Beatles. You know, you know, you would figure that there would be like a virtuoso behind the kid. I'll tell you what Ringo did is the same thing that Pete did. And they brought that human heartbeat thing to it. And whatever needed to be done was done. Right. Yeah. Like for there's the... there's. Yeah. It, it, it lent itself to the song. Right. And it fit perfectly. It just locked right in there. Yeah. So so Peter Chris is number one. Who's number two? Number two would be Eric Carr. Uh, like I said, I, I can't uh, take away Creatures of the Night, that album, that time period, that first concert, and what it meant to me, and his playing. And um, so number two would be Eric Carr. And again, that's about the time I was able to, you know, old enough to kind of understand and started getting into the band, People Magazine, and discovering about this guy who had the dream of auditioning and, and landing the job with, with Kiss. So on many levels, uh, the experience uh, and his his playing style, uh, Eric Carr would be number two. Okay, number three is, of course, Eric Singer. Then. Eric Singer. Eric Singer uh, on the 92 a Revenge or a Live 3 tour doing Parasite. I have his uh, instructional home video, drum video, All Access, Eric Singer. little plug for Eric. And... Uh, uh, there's a live snippet of him playing Parasite in there with a the camera right on him. And I think he just, if I could say it, he played his ass off on, on during those years and on that tour. And his interpretation of that song is killer. I love Parasite with Eric Singer. You you just reminded me of Gene there a little bit. You know how there's like one video. Is, is, it, is it the the Tomorrow Show interview where he's like, can you say damn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it reminded me of that. Oh, gymnasium. Yeah, gymnasium. That's a big word, you know. That's a big word. It's a big word. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of going to one of the conventions uh, in 95, and he did a little uh, drum clinic, and he had put a little uh, montage of, of kind of uh, of Kiss songs put together that would just kind of fade from one track into the next. He started out with Creatures and would go into different stuff. Mm -hmm. And he, just a great player, man. I just I love, I love Eric's style. And I think Unplugged to me is like one of his shining moments. I mean, he just, it's hard to do being a drummer to play softly, quietly, and still, still have, maintain the feel, the time, and, and still be musical as well without bashing. I mean, to really kind of be, have a musicality to it, which you have to do in lower volumes with, with, with acoustic performance. And I think Eric did an amazing job. Technically, who's the best drummer out of the three? Eric Singer with me i have a hard time saying anyone other than peter chris is my favorite kiss drummer out of the three yeah i, I love i love eric carr i love eric singer there's yeah. just they're all amazingly talented i think it's great that we all got you know three guys that could sing three guys that could play that part yeah and do that yeah. thing but there's just something about 
that tug of the heart to the originals. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. You closely identify, and being a kid, you would always defend Peter Chris. But even now, being older and, and uh, hopefully more mature, uh, listening back to those early albums and the playing that uh, the way Peter played in some of the old shows and bootleg concerts that we all have and the videos we've seen, Cobo Hall 76 and stuff, he just, he just had some really crazy films <clears throat> and, and playing style and, and just who would have thought to do some of the things to the songs that he did and land, you know, right on the one. He just, he was a cool drummer, a great, great feel to him and, and, uh, you know, Detroit Rock City, it wouldn't have been the same, I think, with, without him, you know. and Great player. I really I really appreciate Peter and what he did in the early days. In honor of being a fan of all, all the drummers of KISS, really, I'm also a big Anton Fig fan. But I love Anton Fig. He's a great player. And Anton Fig. Okay, now, here's the most important thing you're probably going to be asked to do. Who's your favorite member of the podcast? There's um, Gary, me, and Ferk. So who who is your favorite you know, member of the podcast out of the three of us. You can, you oh, can you rate can. them one, yeah. two, three. It's fine with me. <laughs> I think uh, I'm right. If there's could be a fourth, Ken and Gary, I identify with both. I was a fan, not 75, 74, and I didn't become, I was pre-81, which I've heard Gary say. So I, I think maybe you guys kind of overlap. I identify with both your stories and how you identify the eras and, and then how you feel about the band and and the things that hold you hold dear to your heart about a certain time period for the band. So I think I'm probably right in between Ken and Gary. That's a politically correct answer. <laughs> I don't want anybody mad at me. Okay, I'm I'm going to turn off the mic for a second. I I really think what you're trying to say is I'm your favorite, but you yes. really don't yes. want to yeah. hurt James and Gary's feelings. Is That's that right. hi James Gary? How you guys doing? Oh, they, they'll never hear this. <laughs> yeah, you'll just edit the other out. I don't think number it. one, baby. Edit it out. Edit it out. That's yes. a reference to Kiss Exposed there. <laughs> this next song uh, is Let Me Know, uh, which is sort of an outtake from the Alive album. It's, it's pretty cool hearing a song uh, that could have made an album that you're so used to hearing in, in – in a certain way and, and just the idea that the song could have potentially been a part of the Alive album would it have changed the tone of it or the feel of it and uh, why won't they add it as a bonus track on a remastered CD I don't know so here's Let Me Know uh, an outtake from Alive you want one If you want to rock and roll, you just let me know.
Sonic Boom. Yes. What do you think of it? I've got all my colored vinyl. Finally got it. I love it. Uh, I think it's a good, it's a great album. I think it's a strong album. Uh, I'm an Animal is my favorite song. I think it's, it's cool Gene stuff. And, and as we know, a couple of those songs were old demos that they've went back and revisited. So I, I think they tried to maintain uh, classic Kiss in every way possible, even if it meant revisiting old material, old demos. And uh, I think it's cool. I think it's honest. I think keeping it all internal, Paul producing it, the band playing on it, no outside players or performers, kept it honest and real. And I think it's a strong effort. I think it's a strong album. You mentioned I'm an Animal, and you mentioned... Uh going backwards and some of the older material do you are you aware that those lyrics are almost word for words the same lyrics to a song called feels like heaven that was on peter yes. chris's album yes right and i have the demo of that as well yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay yeah it's just yes we all know the ending to that one mm. uh, <laughs> play that now no better not um i'd love to yeah <laughs> Something about flats or something. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. But isn't it weird that, like, uh, that song could have those two separate lives? I mean, because lyrically, they're, they're, when you read them, one's about, like, love and, and finding love, and the other one's basically the Gene Simmons mythos, you know? it's uh, okay. It really is amazing. You can basically write the song two different ways. Sonic Boom's a great driving album uh, to drive to, literally. And um, and I'm an animal. Just the feel of it, the aggression, and I just think it's a cool, kind of a cool grab you song. And uh, but I have to go back and, and look at the comparison, listen to the comparison. One thing I really like is uh, the solo for that. Tommy is really kicking all kinds of ass on that. Oh yeah. And uh, I, when I saw him in Pittsburgh last Thursday, it was so cool because uh, Tommy like laid the solo down, and in this in the solo he referenced. Zeppelin, and then uh, 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 another Black Sabbath song. He just okay. like kind of played this little these little bits, and it yeah. was just so cool. And then when he got done, he walked over, and Paul stuck his hands out, and they smacked hands and did one of those like snap things, you know? Where yeah, you're, yeah, like yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, like you just nailed this shit out. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was very cool. They're having a great time. They are. They look like they're having fun. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously not doing it for money at this point. They're doing it because, you know, they love Kiss and this uh, huge monster they've built, and, and they're out there having fun with it. And you that definitely comes across. They're having a good time. They don't look like, man, we don't want to be here at all. They, they want to be there, and it, it's cool, cool vibe to have, and it, it, that definitely does come across. Are you going to see them on tour this summer? I hope so. I don't know if it's looking so good. They're going to be the, the closest they're going to be to me is Dallas, Texas in September, and we are going to be doing we're going to be on tour in September. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to catch them. That's the hard thing about being a working touring musician. I mean, you got to pay the bills, but I definitely missed a lot of shows. Uh, you know, you can't always get to the ones that you would love to. I saw them in December in Tulsa, Oklahoma, December of last year, and it was a great show. I had a mutual friend that was working with them at the time, so they kind of snuck me and my family into the meet and greet. So I got to say hi to them and, and get picture, uh, get a picture with them, and my kids finally got to see them live, and that, that was all cool, real cool. Uh, speaking of Sonic Boom, had you given up hope of ever getting a new Kiss album? I did. Uh, 
one of the interviews, you know, Paul had said, you know, uh, I don't think there's any room in the marketplace for a, a new Kiss album uh, a few years back. And I thought that was kind of it. Okay, he was going to kind of give us some solo stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I, I did not think there would be another Kiss album. I really didn't. Well, it's fantastic that we finally got one. That's uh, proven wrong, big time. Thursday in Pittsburgh, he also was interviewed by Rolling Stone uh, magazine, and he said that uh, this is basically the beginning of a new phase and that they're going in the studio in February and coming out with an album hopefully in the summer. Oh, that's great. Excellent yeah. news. I mean, yeah, I mean, making new music, a, a classic band like this, you know. Making new music that that the fans are liking and that's doing well, I think it's great. You know, like it's like me and you had talked about. They're they're on top of everything. I just added the the phone app to my iPhone uh, so that you can uh, get the pictures and the video from recent. I mean, and it also connects to Kiss Online, and it's uh, they're on top of it, man. It's a great way the fans can interact and talk and talk with each other and and post pictures and video. I saw a video for. Shouted out loud up there for Pittsburgh the other night. I mean, it's just, uh, they're on top of them, you know, always ahead of the curve. You were talking to me the other day about how Sean has come to you and said, uh, you were a Kiss fan. How, you know, what's some cool stuff that they did for their fans? And you related how you, you kind of are kind of steering some of the, the fan stuff that, that might be happening. Right, Sean uh, always asks me. He's like, "Man, I know Kiss does everything merchandise-wise, and and uh, you know the Kiss Army, and uh, you know I like to really do a fan club on this tour. What did, what did Kiss do? With the, you know, kind of asking about it. And, and of course, times have changed now uh, with uh, the fan club and, and the things that you get. But I explained to him about the Kiss Army folders, which is I just love those things and. And I collect them as well, but you know they would include a biography and the photos and a poster and and just you know the newsletters you would you know stuff like that. And just told him about when you got a Kiss Army folder and and when you would sign up and you would get your certificate and your your carrying card. You were a card carrying member of the Kiss Army, you know. And uh, he got a kick out of that and was talking about us doing a fan club on this album and some of the things the fans would get and and uh, maybe putting some of that sort of retro feel to it as well. So we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, I was definitely telling him all about being in the KISS Army. As a uh, member of a rock band, uh, you, you obviously know that there are Seether message boards and stuff like that. Is there a uh, pod Seether out there? There, Not that I've seen. Uh, maybe one of these days um, there will be. Uh, you, you never know. Do you think that in a parallel universe that maybe Gene Simmons would be on uh, the Pod Seether show? You know, like you're on this one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Uh huh. Now, as again, going back to as you know, as a rock star, do you ever get on message boards and like read what fans say? You know, they're like going, ah, oh, that you know, that John Humphrey guy. He's he's the worst drummer they've ever had, and he's wearing <laughs> the original guy's makeup. And- <laughs> Yeah, I do. I don't get on there too much and actually talk, but I do read. You know, I'm always interested, especially when an album comes out, to, to get the feedback. Uh, you know, the reviews. You know, when when iTunes when they first put it out, just kind of you know how many star rating and and how everybody feels about it. I mean, you're always as an artist, uh, always interested to see how everybody would take it. 
uh, fortunately or unfortunately in this business, I mean, we're in the only business that when you put something else, uh, something out that's near and dear to your heart, artistically, it's up for criticism. And, um, uh, that's sometimes tough. I mean, we, we are true to ourselves. We put out music that we first of all dig and, and hope that our fans will dig as well. And I, I do empathize with Kiss or any other band that, you know, really pours their heart into something to put it out and then to have certain people, you know, slam it all over the place and just, you know, I don't know. Not really, shall you say, um, shall we say, you know, positive feedback or, or creative or criticism, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes I could do with a little bit of, without that. It seems like sometimes hiding uh, behind the anonymity of a keyboard, some people say some things sometimes that they probably wouldn't say to another human being's face. Right. So uh, that strikes me, you know, odd sometimes. So you know, but I do like to read and, and see how everybody's doing and uh, uh, and see how they feel about the stuff and, and get a vibe for what's you know if they like it or they don't. You know. Very cool. Um, gonna ask you a question about your little pod history. See, we kind of stole that from Kiss right there. Though. Yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite podcast episode and how did you get turned on to us? I'm trying to remember how it seems a link or something took me there. I think maybe I just put you in a search for podcasts in, in iTunes and I put in Kiss and you guys came up and then it led me to the website. And there's guys. You guys have done some really good ones. I uh, I just after speaking with you yesterday went and listened to the Bill of Coin tribute. That's those were beautiful guys. Great job. Um, I really like the interview with Lydia and um, the, the interview with Kenny Kerner. I think those were those were really cool and and were a nice tribute uh, to Bill of Coin. Uh, I listened to the Victor Staben one that you did, um, the artist for the Unmasked album, mm-hmm. and uh, I believe you guys did that episode in April, and I downloaded that just like two weeks ago. And he had mentioned in there you could contact him about getting a signed poster. He had some of those unfolded, still uh, unfolded, unmasked posters. And he made some comment like he had used them for a few years for wrapping paper. <laughs> yeah. Which completely freaked me out. But anyway, I went, well, I'm too late. I mean, he mentioned maybe he had like a handful of them left. He would sign them, and you know, you could, they were available to buy. I emailed him. Uh, through a link off your uh, website to find his and, and wrote him, and he responded immediately and said, I've got a few left if you want one, you know. So I got a, a poster from Victor Staben, which I'm real excited about, uh, and that was because of you guys. I, I know for me, my, my favorite uh, interviews, uh, definitely the Ace Fraley one was absolutely amazing. Just yeah. uh, Just to have Ace Fraley call your house. Yeah, that must have been pretty surreal. Yeah, um, basically went all Wayne and Garth like, you know, Aerosmith is in our breakfast nook. You know, it was kind of like that. But sure, because you know, I I I had met Ace a couple times, but it's there's just something weird. Just like just like if I met you, okay, John, if I met you at the venue or at a record signing or something. That would be like, oh, that was cool. I met the guy from Seether, you know, so and so. But just the fact that you're calling. You know, on the phone. <laughs> it's oh, yeah, just, yeah. It's just something yeah. weird. Yeah. Uh, I totally understand. I can't imagine having Ace call my Ace. Ace was my guy. I mean, plain and simple. He's the reason I picked up a guitar the whole nine yards. Okay. 
And I found out from his publicist later that the thing that he loved about us is that uh, we didn't want to talk about Kiss. We wanted to seriously talk about okay. where he was today. And I'm sure he appreciated that, you know. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show, and uh, thank you for getting in touch with us. And yeah, thank you, Ken, and, and James and Gary, and I hope to meet you guys face-to-face one of these days, but it's uh, it's been an honor, and thank you, and thank you for having me on the show. Oh, anytime, and we want you to come back for a roundtable. We will keep you in our speed dial. I know it's going to be hard to snag you when you're not on tour, but you got a new album that you're working on? Oh, we do. We just uh, completed tracking of our latest album being produced by Brendan O'Brien. If anybody's familiar with him, he did work with Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, uh, ACDC, that's right, Bruce Springsteen. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. a, a phenomenal producer, and he just really took us to the next level. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. He's done a fabulous job. So we just finished tracking. We were in Nashville. Uh, for several months and completed that hitting the road in September uh, a single probably towards the holidays and a new album in January that's fantastic and I see you already have Laser Fest 2010 lined up yes they're booking us as we speak they send me updates and let me know that I'm going to be gone from home for a long time (laughs) (laughs) well maybe maybe, maybe your sons will let me in to get that poster there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna have to arm them and uh, barricade the door. No, I'm just kidding. Well, th- and again, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Ken. What did Gene tell you? Make all the money you can, kid. That's right. There you go. <laughs> cool, cool. So plug your website and you know. Yeah, theater dot com. I love talking about this band, and uh, to be uh, comes right down to it. I I'm a dork when it comes to talking about Kiss. I just That's turn why into we're a kid. Here. You know, I, I just love the band and always will, you know. Okay, man. Well, thank you for taking us on tour with you as well. Okay, buddy. That's so cool. All okay. right. We'll All see. right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Just drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. And as always, a big thanks to Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulik, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memories of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Thanks for listening. Good night. Good night.